hearing folks talking about it. it. It's everywhere, it seems. From when they started with that lottery that so many people didn't get tickets in to all those folks who are lucky enough to be going now. Hamilton is everywhere. And it's the quintessential American story. I've been listening to the music and trying to familiarize myself with the plot. The story, the music, everything about it is just right. And we have this man who defeated all odds, right? Who overcame all odds that would have prevented him from doing what he did. And we love that as Americans. Nobody can be kept in their place if they have the call, the ability, the willingness to go for it, to take a shot, as the song says. And so we have this man, and I know there's artistic license with the story, but, but we have this man who was born in poverty, illegitimate, an immigrant, not very well educated, whose community in the Caribbean had to take up an offering to get him to New York. And we know the rest. The story begins to unfold. He plays his part. He does his role. And again, he overcomes all the biases against him to found this young nation along with others. They pull their resources, their intellect, their willingness to fight. He fights, he writes, he creates, he debates. And in all of that, we have this new nation of which we are a part 200 years later. Now, I know he's flawed, absolutely a flawed hero. He's unfaithful to his wife. He's a braggart. He talks too much. I mean, all of that, all of that. And yet God has seen fit to work through the likes of him. God is willing to do something even through the most flawed people. Thank you, Lord, right? And so today we have this call, this call of Peter, Simon Peter, if you will, Peter is there minding his own business, doing what he's always done, working in his family's business and fishing on the Sea of Galilee. The, the text says Gennesaret, but it's the Sea of Galilee there outside of Tiberias. And so Peter's just doing his own thing. And a call is going to come upon his life that is far more expansive than the call of our young nation. This call comes upon Peter to be part of a movement that will change the world in a multitude of ways. And the vision is so far beyond borders and boundaries and preconceived ideas about who gets what and who deserves what and who even can work for what. The call is far beyond all of that. For this call is nothing less than to change the world. And Peter and James and John and you and I are called to be part of this great transformation, even today. Now, up until this point in the Gospel of Luke, Peter, uh, Jesus is pretty content to work on his own. He's been baptized by John. He's done some teaching in the temple, in the synagogue. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. Maybe that's where he was first introduced to Peter. Peter's living with his mother-in-law. Don't laugh. 
Wasn't that uncommon back then? Still maybe not today. Peter's living with his mother-in-law in in their home. You can actually see what they think was Peter's mother-in-law's house by Galilee. They've done this excavation. But anyway, so Peter's living there, and and his mother-in-law is healed. And so Peter might have been somewhat familiar with what Jesus was doing and the movement that was beginning under the leadership of Christ. And so one morning, Jesus shows up, and all the fishermen are coming in from a night's worth of work. A long night, hard labor, everybody's tired, nobody wants to go back out for sure. They're all ready to put up their nets, they're cleaning their nets, we're told, and just go home and go to bed. And not only had they been working diligently, they had nothing to show for it. The work was hard, it was unproductive, and you can imagine that the last thing they wanted to do was anything anybody asked of them, even Jesus. I mean, I love you guys, but if you show up five minutes before I'm ready to go home, (laughs) I'll be a little bit distracted. I'll have my mind on something else. I'll refocus, of course, maybe. But Peter's been working hard. Long hours, manual labor, nothing to show for it, cleaning his nets and ready to call it quits for the night. And then comes Jesus. Then comes Jesus showing up and says, Hey, Peter, I want you to go back out and take me with you. I want you to go back out. I'm going to get in your boat and we're going to go for a little sail. And first, Jesus again is teaching like he has been doing. That's familiar. On the boat, teaching the crowds that had followed him there to the shore of Galilee. And then Jesus says something you know Peter didn't want to hear. He says, Peter... Put your nets back out. Oh, Lord, literally. Good Lord, literally. Really? I've been at this for hours. I don't want to do this. The fish aren't in the area. I've caught nothing. The nets are heavy. I've just cleaned them. I mean, Peter can come up with lots of excuses as to why not to do what Jesus asks him to do. And yet Peter goes on then to say, but God, literally, If you tell me to do it, I'll do it. Jesus said, do it. Do it. Even though you don't want to, even though you have better things to do, even though you're tired, even though your arms are aching from from tossing those heavy nets, these are big nets that are weighted down, I, I know you don't want to do it, but do it, Peter. Trust me. And so out go the nets, and before they know it, they are catching so much fish, they need two nets. And before they know it, their nets are so full that they begin to rip. And before they know it, friends are coming over with other boats to help them bring in the catch. And the catch is so bountiful that the the, the boats are sinking in the sea. Wow. How great is that? How great is it? That when God asks something of us and we are obedient... Even though we don't want to be, even though it doesn't make any sense, even though we're tired, even though we don't have a lot of trust and that there will be something to show for it, and we are obedient anyway, that's big. And Peter immediately realizes that there is something more to Jesus than he had originally thought. 
There must be more to Jesus than just teaching and healing. There must be something else about this man. And Peter's response after catching all those fish is, Go away, Lord. I am not worthy. I am a sinner. And if you know what's best, you're not going to have anything to do with the likes of me. And Jesus, I'll just love him. Jesus says, well, that's ridiculous. Who do you think I'm here for? You may not be worthy. You may be a sinner. You and James and John there together, you might not amount to much except for the fact that I am calling you. And I am asking you to be a part of something that will change the world, people. That's no narrow vision. That's no small outlook, narrow-minded. This is about changing the world. And it doesn't matter that you're not worthy because with me, Jesus says then and Jesus says now, with me, we're going to get it done. We are going to be part of that future that God has in mind, not just for us, but for everybody. And I just love that. Everybody. And this world begins to change when Jesus moves. There's a pivot here when Jesus, from acting solitary and on his own, decides that this this journey, this vision is way too big. He doesn't want to do it by himself. There's a pivot because he asks us to be part of it. Beginning way back in the day on the shores of Galilee, he asks us to be part of it, to be part of that new thing that God is doing. And what he calls us to, he will equip us for. There's just no doubt about it. This movement that has gone on for thousands of years, again, that has no borders or boundaries, it's two billion wide. get to be part of that we get to play a role and we get to do something significant whether it's here whether it's out there whether it's in Florida whether it's in Zaire Zimbabwe Korea we get to be part of this great human family in which God sees fit to act through to bring his kingdom to bear huge and I know we couldn't do it on their on our own I wonder if we could even imagine it on our own so there are a couple things that I want us to pay attention to again I've mentioned it and I want to say that I went to my thesaurus on the phone and looked up other words for obedience we don't like that word I don't like that word I don't want to be obedient I got better things to do. I I, I mean, sometimes I'm tired. I've been fishing all day. But frankly, sometimes I just don't want to listen. So I tried to find out some other words that might work for obedient, and I'm sorry to tell you, none of them worked for how it is that Peter responded to Jesus and how it is we are called to respond to Jesus. We are called, simply put, to be obedient. And there's no getting around that. It might not make sense, it might be, not be logical, it might not work as we understand the, wor- the way the world works, and yet Jesus says, put out those nets. Put them out and see what happens. Because again, God's not going to call us to do anything 
that won't affect eternity, the world, big, broad ideas. Every little thing we may do has eternal consequences, has large impact, beginning with a small action. So it begins with obedience. It, it is just simply doing what Christ asks us to do, whatever it may be. And beyond that, there's, well, there's two miracles, I think, in this story. Two different things that are going on that I think are supernatural, if you look at them. And if, and if you think about it, first is the catch, right? I mean, to think all those fish gathering in one place after the nets have been empty all night, to think about that, to think about there were so many fish that the boats began, two boats began to sink, that's miraculous. Let's have it. We love it. It's impactful. It changed the lives of those folks right there. It made a difference. But, but you know what? The fish were there today and gone tomorrow. As miraculous as it was, no argument with that, the fish were gone there today and gone tomorrow. So I want to suggest that the other miracle is the one that had long-lasting effects right down to the pews this morning. And it's twofold. So miracle two, part A. You with me? One, God trusts us. God trusts me? God trusts you? Absolutely. For whatever reason, and I don't know why, because I know myself pretty well, for whatever reason, God has seen fit to trust us with the kingdom with the rain. God trusts us to be part of what God wants to do on this earth, as mixed up and messed up as it is. Who's going to do it if we don't? Who's going to offer the peace where there's violence? Who is going to offer love where there's hate? Who is going to offer unity when there's division? And heaven help us, you and I both know we need this. We need the people of God to be part of the solution from all the fractions in this world. And God calls us. Because miraculously, God trusts us. So that's miracle two, part A. Miracle two, part B. And we see it here. The rest of the story is yet to be determined. Miracle two, part B, is that Peter finds God trustworthy. Peter responds to the trust that God has placed in him and on his life in trust as well. He's seen it mirrored. He sees God trust of him, and Peter decides that God is worth it, that God is worthy, that God can be trusted to do what God has said he will do. And so Peter responds in obedience. There's that word again. Not in a vacuum, not because he thinks he has to. I certainly believe he had a choice. But Peter responds in obedience and faithfulness because he finds God trustworthy. That's miracle two, part B. Maybe miracle two, part C is what are we going to do? believe that God is trustworthy 
God's taking care of his part. And if you let God work through you, he'll take care of your part too. But not without your consent and not without your hands and feet and heart and soul and body and mind. Do we find God trustworthy to continue to act in this world through regular folks like you and me, sinners that we are just like Peter? Are we willing to believe? Are we willing to have faith? Are we willing to act on it like Peter did? We are in this new series, Leap of Faith. Y'all, it's a leap of faith every day. There are reasons, I'm sure, that are out there why we might not want to trust God. We see the state of things. We hurt. We mourn. We question why bad things happen to good people. We look at Florida, for heaven's sake, this week and think, good Lord, again, literally. And yet, despite it all, God says these are opportunities for grace. These are opportunities for obedience, even when you don't understand Perhaps especially when we don't understand, we are called to be obedient. And in that again, God makes a way. So this leap of faith that we're going to be talking about these next few days, or these next few weeks, will lead up to a commitment Sunday, where we will consecrate and indicate what it is we're going to do to support our church financially next year. But that cannot be separated from discipleship. Stewardship and discipleship go hand in hand. It's a discipline to give. It's a discipline, and it's one way that we respond. And the two go hand in hand, this discipleship and stewardship. But frankly, both rest on trust. Both begin with our willingness to understand that God trusts us. And that when we are at our most faithful and obedient, we will trust God even with our resources and our time and our hearts and our lives. So there you have it. Miracle one, miracle two, A, B, and C. God finds us trustworthy. How do we find God? Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. As always, you can find out the latest happenings at Harrison on Facebook or on our website at harrisonchurch.org.